Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. Well, if you have your Bible, we are in the book of Habakkuk, and this is the last week of Habakkuk. Habakkuk 3 is where we're going to be. And if you've kind of missed, uh, missed part of the series, I'll kind of get you caught up a little bit. Um, Habakkuk is literally, it's, it's one of the most difficult books of the Bible to actually go through and to understand um, because he brings out questions that really, they beg to be answered, but yet there's so much tension in these questions that to answer them in very simplistic ways, it just doesn't really seem pleasing to us emotionally. And I said that that through this, I called it the book of questions, but really it should be called the book of tensions because when you go through the book of Habakkuk and you read verse by verse, it's just, it's so challenging and so gut-wrenching in so many ways that it leaves us saying, okay, what do we do now? Because Christians live in this, in this space between what really what's kind of pictured, um, up here on the set, and I, the scales, I said, this idea of justice, and everybody knows and has an idea of justice and realizing that, that justice exists. And yet, if we were to look at this, and you look at the scales and talking about God's justice, and all of us, if we just simply looked at God's justice without God's love, without God's love, just God's justice, it would seem very harsh. It would seem very harsh, and God would seem very cold, and he would seem very separate from us. But then also, um, that you see in the middle panel, the heart, exemplifying God's love. And yet, we we desire God's love, amen? We need God's love. And yet, if, if all we saw was God's love without God's justice, we wouldn't have a clear understanding of the weight and the damage that happens with our sin. And I said that the radical place where God's love and justice met are at the cross. Where where Jesus, he he took the, the justice that we needed for the punishment of our sin, the weight and the guilt from our sin. And yet they met in such a loving way on the cross that we Christians, not, not all people, but Christians, those of us who have, have come before Jesus and asked for forgiveness of sins, that we would be set free. And yet, as Christians, that's good. We should be encouraged by that. In the depths of us, we should, we should, be, we should be happy, emotionally content. But the reality is, we live on earth. And what happens on earth is different than what we're promised in heaven. Amen? And we live in the space between and the longing to be in heaven, but we're stuck here. And, and that the, the world we live in is, is a difficult place to live because there's, there's sin here and there's evil here. And it is difficult and it creates a tension in us that needs to be resolved. But the way that we resolve that is not by our, our own understanding. As a matter of fact, I kind of said the centerpiece verse, if you will, for this whole book is Habakkuk 2.4, and this will be on the screen. And I, it kind of, in the, the Scripture, it paralleled the person who is far away from God, who doesn't walk with God, and yet Habakkuk 2.4 says, but the righteous will live by what? Tell me, church. Faith. That the righteous will live by faith, that we're in the space between the promise of the hope of, of eternal salvation being with Christ, and yet we're, we're here, we don't want to be of the world and just in the world, but yet we live by faith. 
Interesting thing, the song that we just sang, Help, Help Me If You Can. How, how prophetic is that song? You sit and think, you know the song's been written 50 years ago, thereabout? And it's like you sit and think about, isn't that the, the deepest need that all of us have? Help me. Help me. I would sing like the little help me thing, but that would be bad. And it would, it would go, you'd get out your phones and want to record it and, you know, that kind of thing. It's like, but we live in that, that place of tension where we just say help. And you know what? Even our culture in that song knows that there's a place to get help. And I believe that even in the writing of the songs from the Beatles, that they, I don't even think they really knew the, the full consequence of all those words, but the reality is that's what we're all crying out for. That's what the world is crying out for right now. That's what many Christians who live in the space between that the righteous will live by faith, that's what we're crying out for. And we're just saying, help me if you can. Help me if you can. That we have this, this greater need for help in our day, in our time. And you know what? We have a Savior who meets that need. Amen? We have a Savior who looks upon us, not with, with just some, He's just cold and callous to our needs, but He's warm. And He wants to be with us and to be united with us, to help us to live this life. And yet He calls us to, and He says, the righteous will live by, tell me, faith. The righteous will live by faith. And faith means we're not always going to see things that are pleasing. We're not always going to be able to figure everything out. We have to see beyond our circumstance because the righteous live by faith. Faith is, is living in a, in, a, in a way beyond your own sight. Now, in chapter 1 of Habakkuk, I'm just going to kind of set it up before we get into uh, chapter 3. Chapter 1 was kind of like Habakkuk with like an old school telephone to where it was like you spin the little wheel. I, I mean, I'm, I'm just, this is from the movies. I, I didn't have one of these. If you did, never mind. If you did, you did. But, you know, sorry. You know, the phone where you spin the deal and you have the thing in your ear and you're talking into it. You know what I'm talking about? Habakkuk 1 is like that where it's just like a real faint telephone call and, you know, connect me to God and he's asking God these questions, but it's not coming in real clear of you. Then you get into chapter 2 and we kind of talked up until uh, actually chapter 2 verse 4 we covered up until last week. We're going to kind of mention 5 through the rest of 2 here in a moment. But chapter 2 was kind of like, him engaging with God, but it's kind of like a black and white TV. It's kind of like, you know, he's clicking the click, 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 turn the channel, trying to, trying to understand. And he's asking God these questions, and it's, it's starting to come in clear. Anybody remember black and white TV, right? And you're, you're kind of trying to figure it out and what's going on, and I don't see things in clear view, but yet chapter 3 is like IMAX, right? If you've been to an IMAX theater, you understand the value of an IMAX theater. IMAX theater is such that you sit in a chair that's different than, than the Carmike cinema that we have here. It's different than any, any Bodunk cinema that you're going to get. You sit in, into IMAX, the seats are more comfortable. It doesn't smell like some kid soiled the seat next to you, you know, like cinemas do. Like you sit there and it's a little bit more comfortable and you kind of sit back and you're relaxed and you have the whole IMAX thing going on. It's like all the way around you. You feel like you are there. In chapter 3, Habakkuk, you're going to see this. It's vivid. 
to where this experience with God is not just some random telephone call, God, where are you, or black and white TV, oh, God, I think I see what you're doing. But chapter 3 is kind of like, it's better than 3D. It is IMAX to the max. And we left off in verse 4 of chapter 2 last week. And I'm just going to zip through this. I'm not going to read through the rest of chapter 2. This would be... This would be great for you if you would like to. We're going to resume our uh, studies today in the beginning of chapter 3. But there, there are five woes that you see starting in uh, chapter 2, verse 5, through the end of chapter 2. And just to give you a little clue, and I'll give you a little illustration of a woe, right? Nobody uses the word woe anymore, right? Except like Joey on Blossom, but that's, I wouldn't even, nobody even knows what that is, so that's how bad that is. That joke. And yet, look, I have two people shaking their head. They understand it. Good. I'm going to talk to you the rest of the time. All right. So nobody uses the word whoa. So I'm going to give you a little bit of illustration. I've got just enough redneck in me to be able to play this off. All right. Everybody knows what the Dukes of Hazard, Dukes of Hazard is, correct? All right. Now I have everybody bought it. Now I'll speak to all of you. Great. Dukes of Hazard. It's kind of like this. When they would take the General Lee, and in every episode of the Dukes of Hazard, they literally would take the coolest car ever made. My dad drove a Pinto, so that was truly the coolest car I ever made, this, the General Lee. And, and just before they would get ready to jump a creek, they would always bust through a barricade. You remember this? They'd bust through the barricade, and then all of a sudden you'd hear the whoa, and the engine rev, and it would fly over the creek, and everything would be great. No seat belts, all of that. I still don't know how they pulled all of that off. But the woe that you see in the Bible is kind of like that barricade right before they hit the point of danger. So when you see a woe in the Bible, and there's, there are five of them in chapter 2, and here's what the woes are, which I'll just tell you. There's the first woe, and it's a woe to the people of Babylon. So if you've been with us so far, you know that, that chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, it's kind of like the message is directly about uh, Habakkuk and the people that he is prophesying to. But then you see at the end of chapter 2, these, these woes are really to the people of Babylon. And here's what they are. There's woe number one. Because they had a, fir- a thirst, rather, for intimidating other people. So God gives this woe and saying, there's danger when you have a thirst for intimidation of other people. The second woe is this thirst for excess. That you're not content. That you can't have enough. These people, they just, they weren't content. They could never have enough. They intimidated other people. They manipulated, they controlled. They had a thirst for immorality and just, they were just outwardly wicked people. They stood in the face of truth. The fourth woe, they had a thirst for lust. They had a thirst for lust and then they had a thirst for idolatry. They worshiped things that they had made. And yet, what's interesting about this, and you'll see in in the way there's a transition that happens at the beginning of chapter 3, where Habakkuk 3, it breaks into, literally, it's a prayer. And it was a prayer that was then basically transformed into a song. So the first two chapters of Habakkuk are very much, okay, God is going to do this, And then Habakkuk gets this message that God is going to also do some other things to these evil people, the Babylonians. And he says, and every time the Bible says woe, 
That means we need to either stop because something dangerous is either happening to these people or maybe that we would look and maybe that's a woe that we need to change something about our life. Now, chapter 3, verse 1. It says, A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, on Shigionoth. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known, he says. In wrath, remember mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Timon, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and His praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise, raised, flashed before His hand, where His power was hidden. Plague went before Him, pestilence followed His steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled, the age-old hill, age hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of Kishon in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Verse 8, were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Has your wrath, was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to toe. With your own spear, you pierced his head. And when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. He says, you trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. And here's the transition in his writing in verse 16. He talks about past events prior to this, and he's talking about things that God has done. And this great, this great image and these, these things that, that are kind of playing through Habakkuk's mind, and we kind of, we're right into his prayer, and his, like in a prayer journal of sorts, where he's just having this experience with Almighty God, and he's just writing things down, and, and we're just sitting back, and, and, and the things that I, just, that I read and that you read with me, is just we sit back in awe. But now look at the transition in the writing. If we look at the transition in the writing here, now you'll see Habakkuk's response. He said, I heard and my heart pounded. Has your heart ever pounded? My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept in my bones and my legs trembled. Have you ever been a part of something to where it was either fear or awe where your knees trembled? And he says, yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though a fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. He says, no matter what it looks like outside, I'm trusting in Almighty God's deliverance. 
No matter what it looks like, Christian, no matter what it looks like outside right now, no matter what Fox News tells you right now, no matter what CNN tells you right now, no matter what MSNBC tells you right now, no matter what whatever newspaper that you choose to listen to tells you right now, it's not reality. It's not. It's not reality. Don't believe the lie because God is on the throne. Is anybody excited about that this morning? He's on the throne. We can clap at that. We should. He's on the throne. Because the truth of the Word of God is unshakable, and it is true. Habakkuk says, no matter what it looks like, if there's no food in my cupboard, no matter what all these things, no matter what everybody says, he says, I will rejoice in the Lord Almighty. What about you? What are you going to rejoice in? In our country, we're, we're prone to rejoice in a few things. We're prone to rejoice in a position that we have at our employment. We're, we're prone to, to rejoice in that. Well, I have this, and this is my comfort. You know what? Coming from a person who's had job loss, that can be swept away very, very quickly. Coming from, you know, in, in the culture that we live in, we rejoice in certain things, and we say, wow, we rejoice in maybe how much money we have in the bank. You know what? And how much money we have in investments. We know that those investments really they come and they go, don't they? I had a friend of mine when I worked in aviation who had had money in investments. He had, I think it was about $300,000 in investments, and that was kind of his nest egg for retirement. A change happened with his investments with the 401k. He lost over $150,000 like that. Same thing could happen for us. And yet, we look at the message of Habakkuk, and he says, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will be joyful in God my Savior. In verse 19, he says, The the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go to the heights. And we see at the end of verse 19, he says, For the director of music on my stringed instruments. I believe that's part of the inspired writing of Scripture. So we understand exactly what happened here. You know, I've been wrestling with this message for about five months. It has been a challenge for me for about five months to bring this, to bring this message, not just, not just to you and to how it's going to come out and all of that, but a wrestling in my heart. Because I believe, and I think that, that you will agree with me, the greatest thing that we need in our generation are, are people who would stand up for Christians, who would stand up for the truth. And who would not be so subject to what everybody else says and what everybody else, what you read and all of those other things that, that maybe even worldly, they seem to make sense. Because one thing I found out and I was reminded this week through a conversation with my wife is faith don't figure. Faith don't figure. Faith is not math. Faith is not math. It's not. In many ways, faith is not logic-based. Faith, as you see, the righteous will live by faith. That means there are going to be times in your life where you are absolutely not going to have a clue of what to do, but yet the righteous will live by faith. That's what Habakkuk said in Habakkuk 2.4. And yet we have a responsibility in our day. And the wrestling that I've had just kind of processing five, six months, processing for this message is this idea right here, revival. Because this largely, this is what Habakkuk 3 is. This is a prayer of just a song of triumph and a song of revival. 
And he's saying, God, I understand that, you, that you, everything that you said is true. And he says, although I do find a little bit of comfort knowing not only are you doing this thing to, to the Israelites because they're away from you right now because of, of us. And he says also, he says, I find a little bit of comfort because the very people who are invading us are also going to be judged. That's the five woes that are mentioned in chapter 2. But what about you and I? What do we do? How do we, how do we embrace this? How do we take in what this scripture is and apply some of these things to our life? Verses 1 and 2, we're going to see the very first thing. Verse 1 and 2. It says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. And the way that Habakkuk is writing, he is assuming responsibility. He's saying he's not looking at... He's not looking at God and saying, okay, I don't know why you're doing this. He's not doing that anymore. He's at a place where he has received what we've seen in chapter 1 and 2, and he's assuming responsibility. Illustrate it this way. Several years ago, we lived in Florida, and I believe Gracie was around kindergarten age. She's my daughter. And she was around um, kindergarten age. And I, I remember I had gone into my son's room, and the walls were flat white paint, okay? That is of the devil himself, flat white paint, because you can't do a single thing with flat white paint, right? Anybody who's had to paint over something on flat white paint, you understand what I'm talking about. But I, I remember that I had gone into Austin's room, and at the time he had had, um, he had, had kind of a, a bunk bed thing, I believe. But I remember just, on, on, just above where his mattress was, as I looked at the wall, somebody had gone through there with a Sharpie and an ink pen and did a little sneak attack on the wall to get back at their father. Now, Austin was older at this time, and he's not very artistic when it comes to that, so I didn't really have any idea, or I didn't have any real uh, belief that it was him who did it, so the next culprit would be my kindergartner at the time. So I remember of kind of tracking her down, and, and she was always like the little secretive one, you know, She's like a little covert kindergartner kind of thing. You never knew what she was going to do. I mean, she has a cute smile and beautiful eyes, but let me tell you, there's something going on there. And, and I remember that I had gone into Austin's room, and I kind of looked at the wall, and isn't any dad who has to repair that wall at that time, and then you're thinking, and it was a rental, so it was even worse, that I remember, well, how am I going to fix this? So then I go, I try the magic eraser, which they're a bunch of liars. It's not magic, and it doesn't erase everything, right? It really doesn't. I did the magic eraser, and I went through and went through and went through, and I realized that it actually wasn't taking away the ink. It was more so just kind of taking away the paint. That was amazing. So I remember that kind of looking at that, and I'm trying to fix the mess, and yet I go track down Gracie, the cute one. I go track her down. And, I'll, and, and I just, I brought her into Austin's room just to look at the wall. And before I can utter a word, she folded her hands and said, I didn't do it. She said, I didn't do it. You know, don't we expect that of, we expect those things out of immature people, don't we? Don't we expect that? You know, I didn't do it. But yet, out of mature people, don't we expect them to assume some responsibility? Don't we? Out of mature people, mature Christians, don't we we expect them to assume some responsibility? 
I love this, this text at the beginning of uh, verse 1 and 2. He, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't, he doesn't go and point fingers to other people. He doesn't run to other religious people and say, oh, I can't believe they're doing this, and did you see them do that? I don't even know why they did this, and I don't know why they didn't. He didn't do that, did he? He didn't do that at all. He didn't go to the other religious people and, 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 and cast blame on someone else. He didn't stand up as some self-righteous, indignant person and point his finger to everybody else that you've done this and look what you've done. He didn't do that. He assumes responsibility. And then at the end of verse 2, he just cries out to God and he says, In wrath, remember mercy. He says, I understand that what is coming has been on the way and that we deserve it. But he says, but God, in your wrath, could you remember mercy? Shouldn't that be the cry of our generation? As we're saying, help me if you can to our Lord, to our sovereign Lord, who is capable and willing and able. Shouldn't that be the, the, the cry of us? So we would sit back and, and if you call yourself a mature Christian, if you're an immature Christian, if you're not a Christian, you totally get a pass on this. But if you consider yourself a mature or maturing Christian, you're responsible for what you do, and you're also responsible to bring light into this generation. You are. You're, more, you're responsible for having an influence outside of these walls to bring this, this idea of revival. You're, you're responsible. You're responsible in your workplace to bring the light of Christ. You're responsible in your neighborhood to bring the light of Christ. You're responsible in your relationship to bring the light of Christ. Even when things seem like they're, they're going dim, we have hope in the resurrection of Jesus. Amen? And the righteous will live by faith. We have to look beyond today, beyond our limited understanding, and beyond that little, that little square or a rectangular thing that sits in our living room, in our dens, in our bedrooms to see things as God sees them. And we have to assume some responsibility and say, if the world is not going to step up, which we don't expect them to, but Christians step up. As a matter of fact, that's the reason why if you look at the front of your bulletin, what does it say on the front of your bulletin? It's taken right from this text. What does it say on the count of three? One, two, three. Renew them. Look at Habakkuk's message. In verse 2, he says, Renew them in our day. He's talking about God's deeds. He's crying out to God and he says, Renew them in our day. And I took it to another level. I said, I was just, that was kind of my plea. And if you want to walk away with something, I would hope that you would walk away with that. Say that we would cry out, God, renew them. Renew your deeds in our day and revive us in the process. That you would renew your deeds in our day and that you would revive us. Because I have to tell you, many Christians today are on life support. They're on life support. That we would cry out to God and say, God, renew them in our day. Renew them in our day. Challenge our hearts. Revive us. Don't just, don't just revive you. Revive me. I have a responsibility. As a maturing Christian, I have to assume responsibility. I have to step up to the plate. We don't expect immature people to do mature things. 
comes with the territory. I didn't expect Gracie to come up and say, I did it, I enjoyed it, you get to clean up the mess. I expected her to fold her hands and say, I didn't do it. But if we're a maturing Christian, the Lord would want us to step up to the plate and say, you know what, we've got a problem and you're the solution. That we have a problem and the Lord Jesus is the solution. Part of this also, we see, he says, Renew them in our day and in our time. Make them known in wrath. Remember mercy. Renew them in our day. This is the the concept of personal renewal. This is not, well, the church needs to step up. Well, Christians need to step up. Well, it's their fault. It's a matter of, I need to be renewed. It's a personal renewal. That maybe you haven't done what you were supposed to in your workplace. Maybe you haven't been the light that you were supposed to in, in, in your workplace and in your family and in your marriage. Maybe even in raising your own kids. And you need to ask the Lord Jesus, please renew me because I'm broken. Renew me. little catchphrase that I, I think would be profitable for us this morning is spiritual renewal in our day will only begin when the people of God embrace the power of God by the grace of God. Spiritual renewal in our day will only begin when the people of God, that's Christians, use the power of God, that's the supernatural power of God, by the grace of God. That's it. That's the starting point. If we don't, if we don't come to this place, you're, you're going to be lost somewhere in the midst of it. You're not going to understand. This is a matter of personal renewal. What is God doing in your life? A matter of spiritual renewal. Spiritual renewal. What is God doing in your life? We don't need to look around and point out everybody else's flaws. This person did this and this person did that and I don't like the way they did that and why do we do that and who's doing that and I don't like the way they lead and I don't like this and I don't like that. We need to stop pointing fingers everywhere else and we need to come to a place and say, this is a matter of spiritual renewal for me. Me. Lord Jesus, renew your deeds and revive me. Because I'm broken. Because I'm broken. Verse 3 through 19. I'm not going to go through it and read all of that again. But he's celebrating the works of God. And you, if you notice through three, uh, 3 all the way up until verse 15... It's amazing that he's talking about things that God has done. So he's, he's actually, he's commenting on things that God has done. He, here's how we know this. He says, God came, his glory covered, his praise filled, his splendor was like, the rays flashed, plague went, he stood, he looked and made. You uncovered, talking of God, you called, you split, You strode, you threshed, you came out, you crushed, you stripped, you pierced, you trampled. He's looking from a historical perspective on the things that God has done. 
How can, how can we trust in the, the renewal in our day? It's by getting historical. Not hysterical. We do that all by ourselves. Getting historical. Looking at the things that God has done. And that's, that's the very thing that Habakkuk does here. He sits back in awe of all that God has done and he gets historical. And he says, I, I'm, I'm, I'm remembering all the things that you have done and I'm being moved in my spirit because of it. He says, I'm, I'm looking at all the things that you have done, O Lord, and I'm, I'm being challenged. I don't know what to do with this right now. What I love about this is... Verse 3, it says that God came from Timon, the Holy One from Mount Paran. This is, this is talking about a time that God delivered His people. This is a direct, um, a direct situation where he's, he's bringing His people out of Egypt. And this is a, a geographical area that He's drawing attention to. He's saying, remember when deliverance happened? Do you remember that day? Do you remember when everything changed? And he's crying out to God and he says, I want that again, but I want that in our day. Christians, do you want that in your day? You're probably just as sick as I am of, of, of all the doom and gloom and everything that happens in our day. And where's the faith and where's the trust in the Lord Jesus? We need to trust Jesus for more than just our salvation, but also for our life. And not just for today, for our future. That He's not just the God of your soul, He's also the God of your finances. He's the God of your relationships. He's the God leading this church. He's the God who wants to bring hope into, into Dublin and Lawrence County. But it can't just be me. It has to be us. It has to be us. And yet we should sit back and we, we should get historical. We should understand and, and reflect upon the things that God has done. I, I love the... I love this because Habakkuk, of being uh, Jewish in nature, he would, he would have a clear understanding of, of past events. I'm sure when, when Habakkuk was a child, because he was a child just like we were children, and I'm sure when he was a child that they reenacted the things that happened with Moses at the Red Sea, as every, every Jewish boy would know and girl would know this story. And exactly what happened is, is Moses is kind of running away from the Egyptians and they get up to the Red Sea and they're getting to a crisis point in their life where, or in, in the whole movement really and the house, they're being pushed from behind and pushed from behind and now they have the Red Sea and it seems so insurmountable. And just as a little boy would do, I can just, I can just imagine this. I don't know this from the scriptures. I'm, just, I'm speaking from... Uh, really from my mind, but trying to create an image for us, that I'm sure Habakkuk would would, have played through these scenarios to where he put a stick or his staff into the water and he just imagined the water separating and then that they would go across the the river into being delivered and all the while that the enemy would come up and they would just get washed away. And we see this, that God is a God of, of deliverance and he even draws some important, he, he draws, uh, there's an, a thing to uh, really gain of importance here in verse 3. It says, God came from Taman, the Holy One, from Mount Paran. 
that God here is, is not Elohim, where it talks about the plural name of God and all of God's attributes and God of deliverer and God of provider and all these things. This is the singular word of God, the Eloha, meaning that it's just trying to bring the attention on the deliverance of God's people. Isn't that what we're crying out for in our generation? A deliverance in our day. A renewal of, of God's deeds in our day. Not that so Christians could sit back and say, wow, you did a good job, you did a good job, and wow, that church is growing. But we would sit back in awe of the Holy Spirit of God and say, I remember, I remember that generation. It was the generation who changed the very fabric of our country. I remember that generation who stood up for what they believed in. They looked back at the history and they got a little bit historical. They remembered the things of God and they trusted the things of God. And they said, you know what? I'm not going to speak into everybody else's situation, but I'm going to allow the Lord to speak into mine. You know, something happened at this church. This, this is the 30th year of the life of this church. 30 years. And we have people in this very room who have been here for the 30 years. And they've gone, like every movement has gone through changes. They've gone through changes and things have happened. And they've seen God do incredible things. And people get saved who they probably had just, were just sitting in amazement of what God had done. Because they thought that it was hopeless. And yet God moved and God moves. And this church has undergone many changes throughout the last 30 years, and it's, we've undergone a very big change in the last two and a half years. And you know what? We have people in this very room who have stuck with it for those 30 years. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because the righteous live by faith. Because although it, it, it just, it does, all of it doesn't just necessarily make sense, I don't get everything that's going on, but the righteous live by faith. And I believe that God is, they, and I'm, I'm speaking for them because they're here that they've seen God move, and they trust that God will move again. And they know something needs to happen in our generation. A church like this church, who's not afraid to look a little bit different than other churches, a church who wants to stand up and say, you know what, we're not just going to cater to just the way that church has always been, but yet we want to speak into the unbeliever's life. And if that means that, that Christians have to get a little bit uncomfortable to do it, that's what we have to do. Because the church is a safe haven, not only for the saved, but it's also what? It's a hospital for the sinner. And if we don't allow those doors to be open to the sinners, how are they going to be saved? And that's what we're supposed to do. See, there's people who've, who've 30 years, or near about, 30 years who've invested in this place, and the ebbs and flows of this ministry. And yet, you know what? I, I would challenge you to... Maybe get to know some of these folks, and they're in the room. And get a little bit historical to, to just kind of say, tell me the kind of things that God has done over the last 30 years. What has God done? What, is, what are the salvation stories? What are the baptism stories? What has God done? What does a movement of God feel like? We have to get a, a little bit historical to understand that. Now, One of the things that we also see, verse 16 through 19. And I told you there's a transition in the writing where he had stopped getting historical, seeing the things that God had done. And he's, 
He's placing his faith in, in the fact that God has showed up in the past. But also in verse 16, we'll, we'll read this again, the, the rest of this chapter. He says, I heard, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on this nation invading us. Though a fig tree does not bid, bud, rather, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on to the heights. What he's saying is, I have an unshakable faith. I have an unshakable faith. Though it may look dim... I know there's light just beyond the darkness. Though the situation that you're in right now could be dim. You're going through a difficult time. We're all going through a difficult time financially in this country. But if we put our confidence in a government structure, in a banking structure, in in our position, in our work, in our family, in our family name, if we put all of our emphasis and, and put our worship into those things, where's the hope in that? Because all of those things fade away. And yet Habakkuk, he says, though I, I, there's no sheep in the pen, I've got nothing. He says, that it looks bleak to everyone else. The fields produce no food, no cattle on the hills. He said, I'm going to choose to rejoice in the Lord. And I'm going to have an unshakable faith. And the idea of unshakable, unshakable faith is this. I kind of talked about this two weeks ago. The reason why an unshakable faith matters is this. I said that we had to have pilings, much like pilings that we would be entrenched so much in the Word of God and we'd be entrenched in our relationship with the Lord that even though culture and the things would erode around us, that we would have these pilings of faith deep in the Word of God, deep in a relationship with Jesus. So that even when things erode, that we would not falter. Who likes to go to the beach? Raise your hand. Likes to go to the beach. Beach is, the beach is good. The beach is sandy. That's what I don't like about the beach. But, but we like the beach, don't we? Have you ever looked at a beach home? Beach homes really have some technology that has been there since the Roman Empire a couple centuries ago. They have literally, they, they drive these pilings into the sand in these beach homes and beach structures to where they're literally built on stilts of sorts. And they're driven into the ground 20 to 25 feet because they know the storms are coming. They know the water levels are going to rise. They know that the wind is just going to be just penetrate that area and just saturate and bring damage to that area, but they want their homes to stand. How true for the Christian today. That if our our faith were driven, that we were entrenched in the Word of God, that irregardless what we would see from the television or hear from radio or other people, and, and there are a lot of negative people out there, aren't there? No matter what all of these people would say, that we would be so just have such an unshakable faith where we would have these pilings driven to say, you know what, I will not be moved. Though you may try and move me, I will not be moved. That's what this world needs. That's what Lawrence County needs. That's what this church needs. That's what this this city needs. 
people of faith to stand up and say, God, renew your deeds in our day and revive us. This isn't a, a generational problem. This isn't, this isn't where you, an area where you can just say, well, it's their fault. Well, it's their fault. It's their fault. You know what? If we don't take part in the renewal, it's all of our fault. Because those of us who are Christians, we have been awarded the gift of the Word of God. And the Word of God is our guide. It is our light. It is our source. It is the, is the place where we can get back and we can look at the events of God and we can see the future events that are going to happen and that even in the culture and the world that we live in and it looks bleak, that we, we can have and we should have this unshakable faith. That no matter what a naysayer may say or a naysayer may do, that we will have faith to say, in our day, I want to invite God to do an amazing work in our day. But you know what? It comes down to this. It, it all comes down to this. All this is great and, and fluffy and warm if you do it. All of us is singing the song, Help Me If You Can. All of us are singing that song. We're all saying, God, help me if you can. Help me get my feet back on the ground. Help me. Help me. Help me. And yet if we go to another place to, to meet that need, it's wrong. If we go to a certain group, a place of comfort, it's wrong. For us to maintain that unshakable faith in our day is we need to have pilings of faith driven so deeply that even when the wind blows and the water levels rise, that we will still stay standing that the hope of Jesus would rise up in us bigger than our culture, bigger than the media, bigger than anything else, and that we would not only find hope, but we would also, get this, give hope. And it comes when Christians do this. Praise, I told you week one. Stand firm, Christians. Have faith, Christians. Because hope awaits Christians. That's why we can do it. It's not because something that we have. It's because what the Lord Jesus did. And the most radical and life-changing truth that you can live out is the gospel story. That a God that so loved us in such a deep way that we will never even understand until maybe we see him face to face. Maybe. But a God who, who set together this rescue plan of knowing that justice needed to be served for our sins. And yet because of his compelling love for us, that they met on the cross. Bearing the weight and the punishment of sin and shame. That we would be free so that we could sit here on this day and cry out to God. Renew them. Renew your deeds. And revive us. Who do you go to help? Who, who do you go to for help? Who do you cry out to? Because you know what? God wants you to cry out to Him. He's, he is the lasting hope. When everything else fades. 
the Lord remains. We're going to sing some songs to him in worship in response to this. And these songs, as every week, we pick and choose songs that fit a worship experience. We don't just sing songs and we just don't teach truths. We try and create worship experiences because we believe that the word of God is, is, is powerful and impactful. And yet, when we sing songs of worship back to our Lord, it's equally as impactful. Mm-hmm.